Well, this morning, just before we do our Bible and we hold up our Bible and make our statements, I want us to take a moment to pray and pray for our nation. We have the prayer coming up here. Pastor Ken and Gail will lead that prayer on Saturday, October 31st for our nation. And then I also want to encourage, I hope all of you go and vote as Americans. And also, as your pastor, we also have some information. Hopefully, you've picked it up over the last couple of weeks. If you haven't, uh, we have information out there on both party platforms. And can I encourage this? Vote a platform. Don't just vote a personality. You know, it's not just about the person. It's about the platform. Vote your values. Vote biblical values. But then in the end, can I tell you this is a church? We need to make sure that as a church, we need to understand that our trust is in God. In God we trust. We vote, but then we trust God. So regardless of who becomes our president, the church's uh, force and importance in the world is to trust God and to pray out the plan of God in this nation. So can we do that today? And we'll pray over this message and then we'll do our Bible. But let's join me as we pray right now. Father, we just want to thank you for this nation that we live in, this great nation. And Lord, we pray today that you will have your will in this election. Lord, I pray that as the church, that we would be unified, Lord, in bringing the gospel to this nation, that we would understand that our trust must always be in you. As Americans, we have a responsibility, even as Christian Americans, Lord, we have a responsibility to vote, and we are accountable for our vote. And in the end, though, while we vote, we also pray, and we pray, your will be done in this election, your will be done in this nation, in Jesus' name. And then, Lord, also, I thank you today as I bring forth this word on radical grace that you minister this message to every person who is here listening, those watching online, and those who may hear this message later. Thank you for the power of grace in our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, let's take our Bibles. Here's what we do at Faith Life Church. Whether your Bible's on an electronic device like mine or it might be leather bound, take your Bible, let's hold it up, and let's say the words that are up on the screen. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. It is the incorruptible, incorruptible, everlasting, living Word of God. I receive it now by faith, and I believe that my life will forever be changed. So let's get into this message today. We're in a series entitled Encounter Jesus. And in this series, we've been looking in the Gospel of John, and we've been looking at encounters that Jesus had with individuals, that he had with groups of people, that he had with his disciples. And in each one of these encounters, we are learning something about the person of Christ. And as we grow in our knowledge of who Jesus is, then my prayer is that we will, each one of us, encounter Jesus in greater ways in our lives, in our future. And so let's get into this message today that's called Radical Grace. And for the sake of time, I usually read my text, but I have so much to say in this particular message. I want to jump right into this message, take you right to an encounter that Jesus had with a woman 
with some religious leaders and with a whole crowd. And it's the encounter of the story of the woman who was caught committing adultery. So let's go there. John chapter 8, starting in verse 1. It says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again. Oh, oh did, I, did I read that twice? Anyway, then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Now, can you imagine this scene? Can we just for a moment replay this scene? Religious leaders find this woman committing adultery. They drag her to church, to the temple. Jesus is in the temple teaching. They interrupt Jesus. They could. People let them interrupt. Why? Because they're the religious leaders. So they let them interrupt. The crowd makes way for them. They bring this woman out into the middle. And what do they do when they get this woman in the middle? All eyes are on her, on Jesus, and on the religious leaders. And the religious leaders quote the Bible to Jesus. You ever done that? Try to get Jesus to change his mind or do something and quote the Bible to Jesus? They quote the Bible to Jesus and they, they announce this woman's sin. They say she committed adultery. The law says to Stoner, what do you say? Oh, aren't you glad that these religious leaders asked Jesus that question what do you say now come on we need to listen up because we are about to find out how Jesus not some church somewhere not some pastor somewhere not some individual sister Susie Christian somewhere not how they respond to people when they sin. But we're about to hear how Jesus responds to people, to us, when we sin. Mm. Now we know the religious leaders, their response was condemn her, stone her. But what did Jesus say? Jesus says, I don't condemn you. 
I forgive you. I don't condemn you. I forgive you. Here's what we learn. Jesus responds to our sin with forgiveness, not condemnation. Now, Jesus does something else here that's wonderful. And the church needs to learn this. Jesus doesn't condemn her. At the same time, he doesn't condone her sin. He forgives her sin. And we would do much better if the first thing we would do is not condemn, then not condone. Mm, Too often, we make sure you know that I don't condone what you did, then I'll forgive you. Mm. Well, we got it backwards. Listen, I'm sure you're like I am. I'll take Jesus' response over the religious leader's response any day to my sin. Come on, can can you hand me that stone there? Their response was to take the letter of the law, the Bible, and to stone her. Hmm. Anybody ever felt like they got stoned by religion? I mean, rocks thrown at you for what you did, what you didn't do, maybe. But how does Jesus respond? He responds with radical grace. He gives this woman what she didn't deserve, which was his forgiveness. She didn't even ask for it, but he gave it Freely, Wow. Let me give you the definition of the word radical, and you'll see why I chose this word radical to go along with grace in this message. The word radical literally means something that is considered extremist or very different from anything that has come before. You you see, the religious leaders knew that Jesus was different. In fact, they asked him a question. They said, what do you say? Now, if you think about that, Jesus was teaching from the same Bible these religious leaders were using. He had been teaching from the Old Testament prophets. The law that these religious leaders referred to was the Old Testament. Sometimes when religious leaders referred to the law too, they would be referring to the first five books of the Bible was often called the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And it's primarily called the law because that's where Moses or God gives Moses all the laws. And of course, what we're most familiar with, the Ten Commandments. And so these religious leaders are using the law. But they're asking Jesus, what do you say? You know why? Because they knew Jesus was different. (laughs) They knew there was something radical, something they had never seen before because he was teaching from the same Bible they were teaching from, but all of a sudden, grace comes in. All of a sudden, it's not just the letter of the law. These men were religious. Mm. How many of you know that you can teach the Bible with the wrong spirit? You have two people teaching from the same Bible, but a completely different message. You can use the truth in the Bible, 
to condemn people or to set them free. Listen, church, we need to make sure that we are using the truths that are in the Bible to set people free. That's what Jesus came to do. But let me define religion for you. Because if you don't understand religion, and the truth is all of us who are following Christ or have followed Christ for any length of time, there's times that we got a little religious when we shouldn't have. Let me define religion for you. Religion is the belief in and worship of a personal God or gods. And for us, it would be God. And then it's also, though, the other definition is a particular system of faith and worship. Ooh. So you see, religion in and of itself isn't bad. It's a worship of God. But the other side of that is where we run into problem, the system. Because you see, these religious people that was surrounding Jesus and that woman today that drugged the woman out there, they were more into the system than they were into the worship. Come on. We need to make sure that we don't become religious and get more into the system. Uh, God, you need to bless me because I went to church and I, pray, I prayed 35 minutes today, not just 30. 35. And then I even sang songs. I listened to Joy FM on the way to work. Uh, come on. And we get into the system and all of a sudden we feel like we have done it. We have made things possible. Come on. Don't get into religion. It will rob you of radical grace. Everything God gives you, everything you receive from Christ is by grace. It is undeserved. It is just God's favor being poured out on you. And we can, I, I, I like, I don't know what the, who the coach is that said this. Jeff might remember, but I know there was a coach, a famous coach that said, listen, don't act like that you made it around to third base. You were born on third base. In other words, when somebody has a talent or a gift, you know, you were born on third base. Don't act like you ran around to third base. God gave you that gift. Well, listen, if you have peace and joy in your life, it's not because you did something so special that God blessed you because you went to vacation Bible school when you were little and you haven't missed a Sunday since. No, that is in your life because of the radical grace of God. You see, when we understand that, grace doesn't lead us to sin. Grace has helps. Grace helps us to overcome sin. It helps us to get out of being religion. Can I religious? Can I say this about religion? I heard my pastor friend uh, Tim Gilligan say this. I don't know if it's original with him or not. It's such a good statement. And here it is: religion is all about God without God all about God. These religious leaders are all about God. In fact, if you read other translations, it said that these religious leaders that were surrounding that woman that day were the scribes and the Pharisees, made up of two groups. Here were the scribes. The scribe in that day was defined as a man learned in Mosaic law and in the sacred writings, an interpreter, a teacher. I know the Bible. I've read the Bible through. I went to Bible college. I have a PhD in divinity. 
now listen. I'm not making fun of that. I, I think some of my friends have PhDs and they've gone. I, I, that is to be applauded and commended. But listen, just because you have a PhD in divinity, you better make sure that you're not divine, that you worship the one who is. Come on. We, we need to make sure, even if you, what, you've been to Bible school, I serve in the minute, all of those things are wonderful. But, but we got to remember that it's all about God. These were the scribes. They knew the law. And then the Pharisees, they're called separatists. They're exclusively religious, and they prided themselves in their good works. Now, these are the religious people. One group of religious people, they know the Bible, and they're going to call you. They're going to call you out. And the other group, they're going to say, well, I would never do that. Look at how I live. I've never done that. I wouldn't do that. But this is what I do. I pray every day. I, I pray three hours. Just, just so you know, I pray three hours. Why, why are you telling me that? Mm. Religious people. And can I say this? Maybe, maybe you, you think today, Pastor Jane, I'm not religious. Can I tell you that our religious attitudes are best seen in how we deal with the sins of others? Mm -hmm. Can you believe they did that? And they've been a Christian. They're a leader. Mm. Or do we say, you know what, I just forgive them. I pray for them. Lord, help them to overcome whatever caused that and get on to serving you. A friend of mine was telling me that years ago when a well-known pastor fell, he was sitting in a coffee place with a friend of his, a businessman. There was a friend of his. Now, he's a pastor, and he's talking to this businessman, and he and this guy had been friends for years, long before he was a pastor. They went to college together, but this particular friend of his had gone on in the business world and become very successful, but he'd kind of kept in touch with him, hoping that he could lead him to Jesus. And so they were meeting again, having coffee, and uh, they sat there, and then all of a sudden, the report came on, on the news. You know how they'll have TVs playing where you're in places, restaurants, and the news came on and it talked about this pastor that fell and what was happening to him, a little bit of his story. And so the guy looked across at his friend and said, right there, that's why I'm not a Christian. That's one of the reasons why I'm not a Christian. So immediately this guy thought that he wasn't a Christian because this pastor fell. And he goes, well, and he started to like say, well, you got to understand just because he fell, just because he missed it. And the guy said, oh, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm not bothered that the guy fell. What bothers me is the way you are treating him because he did. I would hope my family would help pick me up. I, I would hope. Uh, come on. Talk about being religious. Now, obviously, you don't put someone right back on the stage. They need to overcome. You don't condone, but you don't condemn. Sometimes I think we're more religious than we think we are. And, and you see, here's why you need to know a little bit about religion. Because religion has power. And I'm going to show you in the Bible. The Bible tells us why religion has power. 
1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 56, Paul is writing this passage, and he says, For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. You see, religious people love the law. They love the commandments. When we're talking about the law, we're talking about the commands of God. And religion loves the commands because they realize that the law gives strength its sin. You say, what do you mean, Pastor Jane? I'll tell you. In fact, Paul put it like this way in another place in the Bible. He said, man, I was doing pretty good until I read the Bible. And then I saw everything I was doing wrong. And then I even wanted to do some of the wrong things that he told me not to do after I read them. It's just human nature. Human nature wants what it cannot have. So the strength of sin is the law. The law causes us to sin more, not less. And so that's why the religious people will always have something to do because they'll always be sin around. I gave you a real practical example of the law and human nature. I'm not a real big chocolate fan. I like it. I eat chocolate. My husband's a big chocolate fan. But I'm known if you were to give me a chocolate bar, I would probably take one bite and then it would be in my refrigerator for the next three months before I, I might take the next one. Most likely it would get eaten before then by some guy in my house. But I, I, I'd forget about it. I don't even want it really if... I don't have any desire for a chocolate bar. I don't even know that I'll eat one this year. Maybe a a bite of one. But now listen, you tell me today I can't have a chocolate bar? I want one. I'm going to stop on the way home and get one. Just because you told me I couldn't have one. And that's the way human nature works. And that's why religion has such power because it takes human nature and it uses the Bible against our human nature. The Bible itself, the Word of God teaches us that you can use the Bible like the letter of the law. And when you do, when you use the Bible, even in your own life, listen to me, when you treat the Bible like the letter of the law, something that you have to live up to, it's going to give strength to the sin in your life. Don't treat the Bible like the letter of the law. Don't be religious. Come on. Listen to Galatians 3.19 talking about religion. The first half of this, it says, Why then was the law given? This is Paul again writing. It was given alongside the promise to show people their sin. Can I tell you this? When you use the law in the wrong way, the Bible is saying that the law was given, the Bible was written so that you could see your sin. But the problem is, is when religious people can see your sin, they get the pointy finger. They now feel like they can point out your sin. But can I tell you what the devil will do with your pointing finger? If you start pointing out everybody else's sin, he's going to point it toward you. It's going to come back at you. And all of a sudden, you're going to be so caught up in yourself, and he's going to point out all your sins, and then you're going to feel condemned because you're causing other, you're using the law on other people, and then you're reaping what you sow. I I don't know how I know that. Not by experience or anything. Come on. The pointy finger is the finger of judgment. Condemnation. 
That's what they did to this lady. They pointed out her sin. And can we just for a moment just stop and ask this question? Uh, they caught her in the act of committing adultery. If she was caught in the act of adultery, where's the guy? Where, where's the guy? Can I just say this about religion? We won't go there and talk about that. But let me just say this about religion. It will always treat people unfairly. will never be fair. Wow. She was caught in the act. Really what they did is religion answers sin with judgment and judgment leads to condemnation. Let me just give you the definition of condemnation. Condemnation just literally means damnatory sentence. You feel there's no hope. No way out. Condemnation also means to present or to pronounce to be utterly wrong, to determine or judge to be wrong, to disapprove, to declare guilty. How many people who know Christ have struggled with condemnation? I can't tell you how many years I had to overcome the record that played inside of me that the enemy wanted me to keep repeating what there's something wrong with you there's something wrong with you then I would do something wrong and he would confirm it look and he would use the Bible to point it out you better know religion you better be able to recognize it or you'll never overcome the power of condemnation let's go to some more positive sides of the law. Hebrews 7.19 says this, For the law never made anything perfect, but now we have confidence in a better hope through which we draw near to God. Here's what the writer of Hebrews, which I believe was the Apostle Paul too, he says, listen, wake up. The law never made anybody perfect. In other words, you're never going to mature in your relationship with Jesus by using the Bible like it's a law. The law never made anyone perfect. But he said, there's a hope. There's a hope he has. And then he begins to talk about Jesus being our high priest and being sacrificed for our sins. Listen, just knowing what is wrong is not going to help you do what's right. It's knowing Jesus that's going to help you do what's right. Listen to Galatians 3.19. It says, why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins, but the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. And then he goes on to say, but now there is one mediator between God and the people, and his name is Christ Jesus. Yes. Come on. Get away from religion. Let's look at Jesus' response. The law is supposed to be a pointy finger. But what God wanted the law to do is he wanted to point you to Jesus. He wanted you to see your sin and recognize that you could never overcome sin without a Savior. The purpose of the law wasn't to point out people's sin, but it was to point people to Jesus. Let's begin to wrap this up this morning. I've got a few more minutes. Let me first go back to why Jesus came so we can take a look at radical grace. 
if you want to understand and be able to overcome religion and receive God's radical grace, you need to understand why Jesus came. Go back to the Bible. Here's why he came. John 3, 17, God sent his son into the world. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. You see, Jesus didn't come to condemn. This word judge means to condemn, to pronounce guilty, to pronounce judgment. Jesus doesn't condone our sin or condemn us for our sin. He saves us from our sin. And he saves us from our sin by forgiving us. Wow. We are saved by faith according to grace. Let's talk about radical grace. I want to just end this up today by showing you how radical grace closes the divide that sin created in our lives. I want to read Romans 5, verses 16 and then verse 18 as we close this out. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. Verse 18, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Now, now listen, he's saying sin leads to condemnation. That's why when you and I sin, immediately we feel condemned, guilty. We feel guilt on us. We're guilty. But thank God for grace. See what sin does because God's a holy God. Sin creates a big divide between us and God. Let me give you the definition of this word condemn here. And it literally means to divide, to separate, to judge. Ooh. Radical grace overcomes the great divide that sin creates. Grace is undeserved favor. It's God's loving kindness poured out on us. In fact, I could say it like this in light of these scriptures. Grace is God's willingness to send his own son on our behalf to do for us what we could never do in our own ability. We can't erase the guilt. We can't get over the condemnation. We feel the weight. How many today are feeling the weight and the burden of their past mistakes, their past sins? But thank God for radical grace, something that is so different from anything else, something that can wash away your guilt. A judge in a natural courtroom could say you're not guilty, but there is only one who can remove your guilt, and it is God through the person of Jesus Christ. Radical grace. Can you put up the picture close with this. This is a picture of the marble point at the Grand Canyon. And I, I want to show you today how it can only be by grace that you're saved. Only be by grace that the blessings of God and all that Jesus have for you are yours. This marble point here is the smallest point of the Grand Canyon. At 
one of the points in Marble Canyon or Marble Point there, it's only 600 feet wide. 600 feet, that's a lot. Well, think about the best long jumper in the world. And I had to check my stats. Jeff helped me. Actually, the best long jumper in the world has jumped just over 29 feet. 29 feet, 4 inches. Wow. That's a, when you, that's a long ways. That you could stand here and jump almost 30 feet. But folks, I don't care if you're the best Christian in the world. I don't care if you've gone to church since your mama got you out of the hospital and never missed a Sunday since. You can never do enough good for salvation. And that long jumper, even if he went to the smallest point in the Grand Canyon, can you imagine him standing there? I can do this. That's like you thinking that you can rid yourself of guilt or overcome sin. You just can't do it. I don't care that the best long jumper can jump 30 feet. It's 600 feet across the shortest point. You're going to die. Can I tell you, you're not going to have any joy in your Christian walk if you don't rely on God's radical grace. And it applies to people who've never come to Jesus. You may feel like today, maybe you've never come to Jesus, and like your divide, you've had so much sin in your life that the divide between you and God is so wide. Radical grace can close the divide. Maybe you're feeling bad today because you know Jesus and you should have known better, but you sinned. Can I tell you, no matter the divide, radical grace overcomes the divide. Let me close with this. Listen, the answer to sin is God's grace found in the sacrifice of Christ. Don't let condemnation or religion keep you from Jesus. If you've never been saved or you're someone who has been saved but sin, grace is always God's response to sin. And what does grace sound like? It sounds just like what Jesus said to that woman. I do not condemn you. I forgive you. Did you get something out of that today? I pray that you did.